What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. And welcome to The Exchange, everybody. Happy Monday. I am Brian. In for Kelly once again. Here's what's ahead. Markets are taking a bit of a breather today. Namaste. Even as the Fed head says that rate hikes, they may slow and soon. But with recession, a real risk is the bear still lurking. Plus, two big rivalries. First, Target and Walmart. Walmart winning big lately. But could Christmas change it all? The other rivalry, the U.S. and China. President Biden, President Xi meeting for three hours today. Biden saying there does not need to be a new Cold War, but there are still a lot of issues that need to be worked out. John Rutledge is here to break it all down. There is so much ahead on this Monday. We're going to get to it all, but we are going to begin, of course, as we do every day, and that is with the markets and your money and stocks. They're taking a bit of a breather following their best week overall since all the way back in June. Now, after a massive drop last week, which is probably why stocks went up, yields are actually moving higher once again. First off, your stocks, Dow is up to the green, up 98. NASDAQ is down three-tenths of 1%. The S&P literally is unch, is, like, is completely unchanged. We, don't have, we have not seen a lot of literally 0.00. It's like... D-Day's grade point average or something, but there we have it today. All right, the 10-year yield, it's moving back up today. It is back above 3.8%. Of course, the recent high, 4.32. So still well off its highs, but it's also moving back up a little bit today. All right, some moves in the pharma world today. Roche, that is down about 4%. Phase three studies of its Alzheimer drug simply, sadly, did not meet goals. That news setting Biogen and Eli Lilly higher because they have competing products. Biogen's up 4.5%. After a big run-up last week as yields came down, homebuilder stocks, they are falling today. They're down about 2% right now. And, of course, a quick check on Amazon. The stock trading lower on reports that the company may be planning to lay off thousands, maybe as many as 10,000 workers. Stock's not down a whole lot, and it's off its lows, which it hit uh, right when the market opened this morning. But still, Amazon, below 100 bucks. It is down one 0.63%. All right, so as the macro markets hold steady following last week's big rally, it is important to put into context how big the intraday move was. In yields, two-year yields, they saw their biggest drop since 2008. The Nasdaq's recent pop was actually near record levels and coming off a low. But your next guest says, you know what? Don't get too complacent. The longer-term bearish trend may still be intact. Let's talk about it. Joining us is Chris Senyak. He is chief investment strategist at Wolf Research. Uh, Chris, good to have you on. Do you think what we saw last week and the last couple of weeks was mostly fueled by short covering, algorithms, et cetera, or a meaningful shift in sentiment toward the positive? Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Um, we think it's a classic bear market rally if you look at fundamentals, uh, fundamentals are deteriorating. The economy is slowing a bit. And inflation, while it looks like it has peaked, at least on a headline level, is still stubbornly high. And we don't think enough to change the view of the Fed to really stop interest rate increases 
uh, anytime soon here. And so I think these bear market rallies tend to be vicious. Uh, they tend to catch you off guard. Sentiment was leaning very bearish, and, and we had a, a positive element on the inflation print, but those numbers are very volatile month to month. So we would be selling any rally here. We don't think it's a change in trend. Okay, selling into any rally. What then would be the next trigger? Is it the next major inflation piece of data? Is it the next Fed head? Because Lael Brainerd coming out today, and she's very important at the Fed, probably second only to Powell himself, and kind of saying, hey, the pace of rate hikes is going to slow down. Yeah, I think near term, the pain trade is higher, right? You have some positive seasonals. We think the S&P can get the 40, 50, even 4,100, kind of close to its 200-day moving average. And I think once you get past Thanksgiving in the United States, that you get to that early December period where you're going to get the ISM, you're going to get the PCE inflation number, which the Fed focuses on more closely, and then you're going to get the jobs number. So I think we have this little pocket of time where people are chasing performance, and I think markets probably push a little bit higher. But then post-Thanksgiving, we're going to get a lot of big economic data points, and if one or two of those swings the wrong way, uh, you know, markets could be back down to where they were before. Although, so, what if they swing the right way? They could. They could swing the right way. Uh, and then, you know, the, the idea there is that that just pushes out maybe how quickly the economy slows. You know, we're focused even more so on the jobs market than even the CPI or the PCE numbers here, uh, because we have a view that Jobs are going to stay decent, even though you're seeing layoffs in the headlines. There's still over 10 million job openings to absorb that initial wave. And that the price pressures in the service industries are being pushed by higher wages. I mean, the reality is if you quit your job, you get a higher wage bump, and that's one way to do it. And so I think that's going to be something that is very troubling to the Fed next year is that the job market stays stronger for longer. And that forces them to do more ultimately, even though you get some better data here and there in between things. Any Just like part of the market that you like, or are you literally like, let's go to cash and wait a few well, months? You have to own. Uh, we, we today's sector action we like. We love healthcare. We love pharma in particular. They have a long runway, uh, good products, reasonable valuations. We like staples companies here. Uh, they're very defensive. Uh, we'd be looking at utilities on a pullback, but healthcare is our favorite sector and pharma in particular. Real defensible cash flows. The sector's not expensive. Uh, and they have a lot of positive data points that are unrelated to the market, as you saw in some of the news flow this morning. Yeah, healthcare, I, I have a, a sad feeling that's going to be a, a, a bullish theme for years or decades to come in the United States. Chris Senyak, Wolf Research. Chris, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So there is sort of the macro picture. Chris says you want to sell into any rallies, but now let's get more specific. Go down and dig into actual names that your next guest does like. Joining us now is Chad Oviet. He is Director of Investment Management at Huntington National Bank. Um, Chad, welcome. I don't want to get into the macro. We did that with Chris. Let's get a little more micro, try to help some of our audience make money. In fact, he did say, while he's negative overall, they liked healthcare. You like a name like J&J. I got to imagine that just sort of plays into that same trend of a country that we're a fifth of our economy. A fifth is now healthcare. Absolutely. And if you look at some of the names that are consistent through our equity portfolios, our equity team does favor healthcare. So there's a couple of names, J&J, AbbVie, another where we like the fundamentals of the, 
the companies themselves. We like the products that they have to offer. You know, J&J is going through a change next year, focusing more on its device and pharma. And then AbbVie has some really good drugs out now. And you can see their sales pipeline really driving some of those individual drug names. So healthcare is one of those longer-term themes that we're participating in. We also think things like 5G build-out, cloud computing, some of the bigger thematic trends uh, in the investment landscape still have merit, and we're investing in some of those names as well. Yeah, you, you mentioned AbbVie as well. What, what makes that company and that stock attractive? I mean, this is J&J, we know. We know what they do, right? We, anywhere from Band-Aids to some of their other major treatments. AbbVie is one of these companies that kind of flies under the radar. It's not a household. You're not going to say, I'm going to go out and get some AbbVie this or AbbVie that. What do you like about it? Well, there's a couple of their drug names that are starting to become a little bit more household name. You see a lot of the commercials out there. And again, that's that sales network of theirs that can really help drive some of those names. They have a couple that are facing some patent cliffs coming up, but that's okay. We think that some of these newer drugs in the pipeline will help replace some of those revenues. So, you know, it isn't a household name necessarily, but some of those uh, individual drug names are starting to get some attention again and more of that marketing and sales element. All right. Outside of that, you've got a crown castle. I mean, we hear a lot about American Tower. And as far as I know, probably like healthcare, I doubt the cell phone is going away. Just a wild, just a wild hot take on my behalf. It, that seems like a good call. Uh, probably not going anywhere. Even with the conservative outlooks that we've seen from Crown Castle, you know, one of the things that we like about it, you have the 5G build out, but it, Take a look at the dividend, too. If there's something that's kind of consistent amongst the names that we like right now, it's the fact that they pay dividends. And this is one of those that even if it is a conservative outlook that they gave for next year, that dividend and the dividend growth is really attractive to us. Yeah, Crown Castle as well. And, um, and finally, we'll round it out on this Opportunity Monday. I just made up a name for the show, Microsoft. <laughs> Yeah, Microsoft, you know, that's one of those names that probably is in most people's portfolios one way or another, whether it's owned through mutual funds or individually. Um, and we like the cloud computing there. We like the balance sheet of Microsoft. Hard not to like the balance sheet of Microsoft. And so for those longer term investors, yeah, we'll have some volatility in the tech space. But owning a name like Microsoft is really important in our view. And last week is just a reminder that some of these growth names, you don't want to be absent the growth space. Because when market tides turn, they can turn pretty heavily. Yeah. And you see a name like Microsoft doing really well. They sure can. Chad Oviet of Huntington Bank. We appreciate it. We got J&J, a little AbbVie. Got a Microsoft and a Crown Castle to top it off. Chad, thank you. Have a great day. <laughs> thank you. You too. All right. Coming up, the story that is really captivating Wall Street and much of the world. That is the collapse of FTX. Just where is Sam Bankman freed right now and what exactly may be the real risk of spillover into other markets? The very latest coming up. Plus, Target versus Walmart. Who will win the holidays? New Cowan Note gives the advantage to, well, you got to wait. It's called a tease. We'll see you on the back of this break. Stick around. 
electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Uh, a little breaking news here on natural gas. Take a look at that gas. It is now up. It was down 5%. It's now up 5%. There are some news headlines crossing right now that Freeport LNG, the huge LNG U.S. export company, is telling companies that in customers that it will likely scrap more LNG cargoes through December. What does this mean? Okay, remember Freeport LNG months ago had a fire, the cause of which I'm not sure we still fully understand, but it shut down part of their production. Freeport is one of, if not the, largest exporters to parts of Europe. So they have pulled back on their production. There was hope that they'd be fully running. Well, now F Freeport apparently sort of throwing cold water on that, saying that more LNG cargoes are likely to be held off until December. That is not great news for Europe. Remember, there's a lot of ships sitting off the coast of Europe, maybe waiting for higher prices to offload. But with the weather turning colder, the price of an LNG tanker today, the day rate, hit $500,000 per day. So Freeport, not back fully online as quickly. Had some hoped, and natural gas spiked and is now higher. All right, let's switch gears and talk FTX and crypto. Because there are growing concerns about a possible contagion risk from the $15 billion implosion of Sam Bankman-Fried's now former empire. And there are a lot of questions that still remain. Joining us now is Mackenzie Segalos, who covers all things crypto for CNBC.com. We spoke on the phone this weekend. I know you have reports out. You and Kate and everybody else are working their tails off. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, everybody's trying to come out and say, we're fine. We're fine. Uh, what's the contagion risk here? So we are seeing this push by crypto exchanges like Binance and Crypto.com to show a partial look at their books and just reassure customers that you can treat an exchange like a bank account. Because the big worry here, Brian, is that people will start withdrawing their funds and then the business model doesn't work if that happens. So today we saw the Binance CEO, CZ, uh, speaking at the G20 summit in Bali, saying that they have no debts, they don't owe anyone any money. He also made the point that, hey, we're starting a fund to shore up other crypto firms. They're saying that they might step up as 
you know, being someone who can rescue others in distress. Isn't that what FTX did? Well, right. We saw how that worked out. Uh, we're, Binance, still, we're still finding out. Right. And, and, but Binance is the largest, largest crypto exchange on the planet. We also heard from Crypto.com. There are a lot of concerns about that exchange. Now, it's not as big as Binance, but we heard from their CEO on an Ask Me Anything on YouTube this morning. We have a clip from that we can play in a moment. But he's basically making the point that they have a robust balance sheet. They're totally fine. But there are concerns that that might not be the case. Well, we do have some breaking news headlines right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them to our audience. You can comment if you'd like because they are related and you're going to forgive me. I'm going to have to like read them off my computer. BlockFi, which is a company that I think they suspended withdrawals a couple of days ago, on their own website, their blog post, they're saying they have significant exposure to FTX and associated corporate entities. BlockFi does say that they have the necessary liquidity to explore all options but then they add they have engaged expert outside advisors that are helping to navigate the company's next steps. And, of course, they say the recovery of obligations may be delayed because of FTX. In other words, you hope there is a recovery of obligations if you're a creditor to FTX. But here's BlockFi basically saying we have liquidity, but we're also hiring outside advisors. A lot of firms seem like they were tied up somehow with FTX. Yeah, and BlockFi very clearly tied up with them. I, when they first were... They got bailed out by them, didn't yeah, they, in June? Yeah, they had a credit facility of around $250 million, and FTX reserved the right to just outright acquire them down the line. So FTX was definitely a hero to them a couple of months ago. Very unsurprising that they're now worried about uh, whether they can keep things afloat without them. Okay, one of the key issues, and maybe what may ultimately turn out... Because there have been no charges filed. I want to make that very clear. Mm-hmm. If there are, if and when there are charges filed against FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried, his Caroline Ellison, the hedge fund manager, whatever, a lot of it may have to do with the concept that they took customer money from FTX and used it to plug holes in massive losses in the hedge fund, Alameda, that was being run by his either current and or former girlfriend, the 28-year-old Caroline Ellison. What do we know about the use of customer funds from here to over here because that is spectacularly illegal. Oh, yeah. That doesn't happen on Wall Street. That is a clear violation of security. Oh, we're not on Wall Street. We're in the Bahamas, though. <laughs> we're in the Bahamas. So what we know is that a lot of headlines passed uh, on this over the weekend, but essentially $10 billion in customer funds were transferred to Alameda. Now, both the Wall Street Journal and Reuters are reporting that. Reuters is also reporting that $1 to $2 billion of that customer money that was transferred to that trading house Alameda is just missing. They just don't know where it is. So that's a huge concern. And then we had reporting this weekend from the investigative team and our Kate Rooney, and they were looking at the fact that billions of dollars was being used on Alameda. So billions of dollars in FTX mm. customer money yes. is being traded on the Alameda uh, like through their uh, trading house. And so that's especially concerning. I mean, you can't you can't take customer funds without yeah. the consent. And especially, what's especially bad about it, Brian, is that it, it's a clear violation of FTX's own uh, guidelines. Well, and again, I do not want to speculate, and I'm not going to ask you to speculate, but having done this for 25 years, I will speculate a little bit, which is that what what we may have here is that the, quote, smartest guys in the room or the smartest kids in the room in this case may have just had a really bad hedge fund and just lost a ton of money. And for whatever reason, whether it was a personal relationship between the two or complex business or both, Sam Bankman-Fried decided to potentially fund and bail out the hedge fund that somehow got to become 
$10 billion. Right, and I think he thought he There's could... There's so many questions here. I know, but I think he thought he could stave off that margin call. That's it. Prices got better. Because, you know, like we've seen Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, their prices move in a cyclical fashion. We're in a crypto winter, and a lot of people were betting on the fact it was going to come back and it would all be fine and no one would know about what happened in the meantime. You, you keep losing at the blackjack table. You have the fallacy that you're going to eventually win, so you keep doubling down because you think I'm going to win. You could you could lose forever. We'll see ultimately what happened here. And by the way, you don't have to go into it, but a lot of a lot of political stuff coming out, right? Because Bankman Freed was a massive donor to the Democratic Party. To the midterms? One of the biggest. Yeah. But I think behind George Soros. Mm-hmm. So now that that element is kind of clouding some of the storylines, is it not? Yeah, but DC is coming out against him. White House condemned FTX. You're seeing other uh, you know, folks on Capitol Hill say that they want to see an inquiry into what's going on or what happened. Well, I think a lot of people would like to see Sam Bankman-Fried just come, you know, see where where are you? <laughs> you know, do you have an explanation? Yeah. No charges have been filed. Wait. What's going on? Yeah. And where the hell's the money? Right. That's it. I'm placing the I'm promise. I'm going to leave it to you. You better, you got to get that done in the, what, in the next couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> Mackenzie, it's a real pleasure to have you on. Great reporting. Check it out on CNBC.com. All right, we are going to hear much more from Crypto.com CEO right here on CNBC tomorrow. He's going to join the Squawk Box crew at 7, 10 a.m. Eastern. They have come out and said, we're fine. Everything's fine. We've got liquidity. This is going to be a big interview at 7, 10 tomorrow morning on Squawk Box. Crypto.com CEO. All right, coming up, because this show is not done. A high stakes meeting between Bye, Bye, Biden and President Xi face to face for the first time as a president did it do anything to cool rising tension? And if so, would you now be willing to put your money in to China? Plus, for the G20 in Bali to doing business in the Bahamas, we'll take a closer look at just why FTX was based there and how it complicates pretty much everything. We're back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Hey, welcome back. Got a little good news for you on this Monday. The Dow is at session highs. The Dow's up 168. I mean, it's not like we had some massive rally from last week's continuation, but we are green. The S&P 500, which was literally 0.00 when we kicked off the show, is now up a touch. The NASDAQ is about ready to turn positive. In fact, by the time I finish yapping, it will probably be in the green, especially if I speak really, really slowly. All right, let's take a look at oil as well. Oil is trading lower right now. OPEC overnight putting out its latest monthly report and another forecast in the next year. And OPEC cutting their oil demand growth. Now, it's still growth, but demand growth by 100,000 barrels per day. And they say they see global growth of a little over 2 million barrels a day. So this is not a contraction. OPEC still sees growth in oil use, just slightly less than it did before. And a lot of that growth is going to come from one country. It's not us, and it's not China. It's India. India right now, according to OPEC, will be the single biggest source of new growth, especially 
because China's COVID policies remain a wild card. All right, so what about oil production pumping more? Well, OPEC does see, and this is not just oil, this is all liquid, so it includes a lot of different stuff. OPEC sees the United States being the leading gainer in terms of liquid production with a gain of about 1.2 million barrels a day. Remember, President Biden and the White House have been calling on the U.S. to produce more fossil fuels. They want more drilling. We might get it next year. OPEC sees Brazil adding about 200,000 barrels a day. They got a huge offshore find. But look at Russia. OPEC says that Russia is probably going to contract and produce 850,000 barrels per day less. A lot of estimates are a lot higher than that. We'll talk more Halima Croft in Power Lunch in about an hour's time. But right now, to Christina Portsinevelis and a CNBC News update. Brian, the Nasdaq turned, so there you go. But here's what's happening at this hour. CIA Director Bill Burns has met with his Russian counterpart to repeat there would be serious consequences if Russia deployed a nuclear weapon in Ukraine. It is the highest meeting of U.S. and Russian officials since the invasion of Ukraine. Newly released documents show far, ha- far higher spending by some foreign governments at former President Trump's hotel in Washington. The New York Times reports six nations spent more than $750,000 over a period of months. Eric Trump says profits from such days by foreign government officials were voluntarily sent to the Treasury Department. And Google has agreed to pay nearly $400 million to resolve an investigation into how the search giant tracked users' locations and may have violated consumer protection laws. The money will be split among the 40 states taking part in the probe. Ryan, back to you. Christina, thank you very much. All right, coming up, Chinese stocks. They have been rallying lately. And we're going to talk more about that and the meeting between President Biden and President Xi, seemingly a good one But what's under the surface? John Rutledge will be here to talk more about that and more. Stick around. All right, welcome back. Well, Presidents Biden and Xi meet at the G20 meeting today in Indonesia. The Chinese stock market has been rallying. This after China once again eased some, some COVID rules and unveiled a package to bail out property developers. Is it time then for investors, you out there, to give China another look? Joining us now is John Rutledge, chief investment strategist, Safanad, and a CNBC contributor. John, welcome. Uh, the expectations, good, thank you. The expectations for the meeting were very low. I think that is a fair statement, okay? First meeting, obviously, between the two on equal terms since, since the pandemic. What's your takeaway from what we have learned about the meeting? Well, first of all, the expectations were low because they were set low by the parties. And I think what we should read from this meeting is two old pros whose teams know how to pull off a good meeting. They had a number of lower level meetings beforehand. They had contacts between the ambassadors, between Kerry and his counterpart in uh, Egypt. And uh, you got to admit, President Biden is a thousand years old, but he did five summit meetings and a meeting with Xi in one week, and he won the Senate. So this, this guy's a this guy's a warrior. So good. The meeting was actually much better than uh, than I would have or many people would have expected. Yeah, and and I think may, maybe the best takeaway, John, is that there was a meeting. The, the fact exactly. that the fact that you're talking talking is good. Absolutely. And the best thing about this meeting is that they arranged for lower level people to meet afterwards. That's really important because presidents don't have a lot of time to get to uh, to get to visit with each other. You need that knitting together of the teams to do that. You know, uh, Blinken is going to go to China uh, shortly. 
Uh, Yellen is going to meet with Yi Gong later this week on, on COVID restrictions and some other economic matters. There was a meeting of the two ambassadors. Uh, there's a, a huge progress there. And it really opened up after the Chinese political meeting shut down, which means she has a little more room to maneuver politically than he did before. It almost looks like President Xi is smiling. I've never seen him smile before. And the truth is, I don't know him personally. I know the other guys, but not not him. But he is a legitimate tough guy. My wife calls him scary communists. They never smile in a meeting. But these two guys are getting along. And importantly for Xi, they look like their peers. That's been a big sticking point for the Chinese and all that, where you have equal billing on these uh, on these meetings. It's very, very important. Yeah, and if you read about uh, President Xi's history, he had a tough upbringing. I mean, he was not treated, let's call it, with uh, love and kindness, which probably explains some of his some of his toughness there. We're going to bring Kalis Taushin in just one second, but John, overseeing all of this or underlying it, whatever you want to say, is that China is building like an aircraft carrier every six months. I mean, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the Taiwan issue. Is a, is a massive deal. What's the next steps on that? And what is clearly China arming itself in an unprecedented modern way? Absolutely. Well, if you compare the dollars, the U.S. spends a lot more than China still. But China is rapidly building up a military and now has a huge navy. They're serious about Taiwan, but they have always been patient. And the interesting thing from this meeting is it's looking like from both Biden and Xi that they're slowing down the timetable and making it less tense, which is really important. You know, almost all of the fancy semiconductors in the world come out of Taiwan, and we really need that place to stay together. So an invasion won't work, and uh, we've got to find a way to, uh, to maneuver that. What they didn't talk about, which is really important, is the U.S. restrictions on both semi-equipment companies like ASML yeah. uh, and, uh, and uh, the, 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 the modern chips that they are not able to export either. That's highly important for China's uh, uh, growth in the future. But the best for China's growth is the, is the loosening up of the COVID restrictions and a little bit of help for their property sector. Well, let, let's hope there are ultimately loosening up there. I mean, Kayla Tausche, come on in here. We see President Xi meeting with Biden. Uh, maybe that's a good sign. They're in person. You know, President Xi's not wearing a mask, unlike Eunice Yoon when she does our reports. The people of China are getting a little more frustrated by the leadership who seems to be doing what they want while the people can't do what they want. That aside, I would imagine the White House is feeling pretty good right now. Midterm elections went better. Yeah, certainly. Go, to, go to COP. Now you got this meeting. This is kind of a global victory lap. And that's why the president, President Biden, started his press conference from Bali, Indonesia, by talking about the U.S. midterms and how that's an affirmation of American democracy and specifically of his agenda. And certainly the top line takeaways from the meeting are positive. And regardless of, you know, the the hard facts about China's military buildup, President Biden said he walked away from the meeting not believing that a Cold War was imminent or an invasion of Taiwan or a military event there was imminent. So certainly that statement alone 
is a positive one. But I think it should also be noted, as John was just saying, there is no love lost between these two countries on the economic front. And there was a passage from the PRC readout of the meeting that I think is particularly telling on that front. So I'm going to read it for you right now. It said, starting a trade war or a technology war, building walls and barriers and pushing for decoupling and severing supply chains run counter to the principles of market economy and undermine international trade rules. So that's what Beijing is accusing the U.S. of doing, because, of course, we're still in a period where the Trump era tariffs are showing no sign of going anywhere anytime soon. And then there is a new move from Washington to put these export controls in place. Uh, just last month, that move was seen as a precursor to a lot more to come in Washington, especially if Republicans do, in fact, end up controlling the House of Representatives. So uh, China is saying we are aware of what's going on. We do not condone this. And we hope that you take note of yeah. that, too. Well, and we're going to talk to Alon more about the latter part. You just said, Kayla, about what's going to happen with the House, because we still don't know. John, final word to you. Let's not forget, we still have the Trump era tariffs on China. Do we not? I mean, this, we talk about trade and relationships. Those tariffs, they're still there. And the Democrats, they've been oddly quiet about it. Well, you know, hating China is pretty good politics in America. And, and really what Kayla said is right. Press conferences like this are for two audiences. Biden is playing for our audience. She is playing for his audience. The Chinese press releases will be in Mandarin. Almost nobody here speaks Mandarin. And so you can have very different readouts from both sides at home. And that's what you'll expect. There'll be an aggressive one going into the Chinese people through People's Daily. And there'll be what we've seen here. But the truth is, we're both still at odds with each other. Uh, where there's there's nothing fundamental that's changed here other than these small policy changes yeah. we've seen. But regarding the last question uh, we should ask is, should people view this as the time to invest in China? No. They still have an autocratic leader who can do anything he wants. They have no rule of law and they have lousy audits. You know, don't do it. If you want to bet on Chinese growth, you know, bet on it with Chinese resource companies or uh, Australian resource companies, not Chinese companies. Yeah, it's been a tough ride for U.S. investors. And to your point, we find a lot of Chinese companies, by the way, we've had our own here, that turn out to be not nearly what we thought they were. Sure. John, John and Kayla, good discussion. Thank you both very much. All right, up next, with red flags sort of now popping up all over the place, we're going to find out one big reason why FTX may have picked the Bahamas for their business. And it's not good news. That's next. All right, welcome back. We do not know if Sam Bankman-Fried himself is still in the Bahamas, but FTX is still headquartered there, which in retrospect has many asking the question of why they would pick the island nation. Well, it turns out there may be a few reasons. Let's bring in now Robert Frank with what makes the country so attractive for potentially shady actors. Beautiful country, very different rules. That's right, Brian. The Bahamas is kind of a black box of finance. Got banking and tax laws that are ideal for hiding assets. Now those laws could make it harder for customers and the courts to recover the assets of FTX. The Bahamas has strict banking secrecy laws that prevent foreign creditors and the courts from accessing customer identities and assets without their consent. Finding the assets of FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried will be difficult even for the Justice Department and U.S. Bankruptcy Corps. Now, if they find those assets, 
Recovering them, that's going to be a whole other challenge. Bahamian courts have sometimes refused to recognize U.S. bankruptcy courts' asset claims thanks to the country's strict asset protection laws. Now, if he or the company put any assets into special protection trusts, well, it's going to be even harder. And the Bahamas will prioritize its own creditors and customers. Bahamian regulators recently put several FTX companies into receivership. That could actually compete with claims of the American creditors. Now, the U.S. does have an extradition treaty with the Bahamas. But, Brian, it can take years even for criminal proceedings to wind their way through the Bahamian courts. Bottom line, all the reasons that the EU call the Bahamas a, quote, haven for dirty money. Yeah, so I think I think the question the public has is what are the next steps? I mean, somebody tweeted at me over the weekend. They're like, when, when is he going to get picked up by the feds? It's like, bro, there's no charges. If you get picked up by the feds, that's called kidnapping. There's no, there's no charges. We don't know when any of this stuff right. is going to happen. It's not just there are no charges. I mean, just figuring out what the assets are, what they're worth, where they went, then to figure all that out, to figure out whether there was actually criminal intent behind that, because the Bahamas is such a black box and lacks any kind of transparency coupled with crypto, which also lacks transparency, all that's going to take a lot of time. It is. And you wonder, hopefully... I mean, the, the Bahamas, again, will have the ability and the forcefulness to, to dig in if U.S. regulators or others are not allowed to. Because the question, here's the reality, Robert. We don't, we don't even have to get specific to FTX because we don't want to speculate. If you do lose 8 to $10 billion in a hedge fund, as is, is reported here, there's only two ways to do that. Number one, you are the world's worst investor, right? You are horrible at your job. <laughs> And then you kept doubling down probably by borrowing money and you kept losing that. Or you never invested in the first place and just misappropriated the money. Those are really, right, you've covered other financial crimes. Assuming there is one here, those are the only two options. Yeah, and the first option is even more interesting and likely because of the way that crypto valuations have just evaporated so quickly overnight. And so... I think that adds more likelihood to the first scenario. It doesn't mean he was the world's worst investor, but he was invested in an entire complex that just collapsed very quickly. Yeah, certainly. Or the hedge fund or whoever the hedge Caroline and Ellison. Leverage. Well, that's it. The leverage, right? To lose that kind of money, you can lose $10 billion on a billion pretty damn easily, right? Darn, yeah. Sorry, darn easily. Yep. 100%. I, I, yep. I, pull, I got a little fired up yeah, there, Robert. And- I apologize. No, you're absolutely right. And and remember, the Bahamas was so attractive to FTX because of their crypto regulation. Sam Bankford-Fried always says they have forward-looking, friendly regulation. Even some U.S. Congress people went down to the Bahamas to use it as a model. I don't think anyone's going to go there anymore to use the Bahamas as a model for crypto regulation. And it's not, and it's not by the way, it's not just crypto. It's kind of a currency haven, too. Joe Lewis, right? The famous British currency trader, billionaire, yeah. I think. Yep. The Albany Club. There's a lot of connections in currency-ish in the Bahamas. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason the EU has it on their list of top money laundering and tax evasion centers in the world. Robert Frank, great stuff. As always, story's not over. Robert, thank you. All right, folks, listen, don't panic. But there's just 40 days left until Christmas and 33 until Hanukkah. So it's time to start thinking about shopping. We're going to talk to two biggies, Walmart versus Target next.
All right, welcome back to The Exchange. Walmart reports tomorrow morning. Target, they report on Wednesday. And the street will be closely watching for a spending slowdown and any guidance changes. Well, our next guest has a positive outlook on both retailers this quarter, but says there really only can be one holiday winner. Let's bring in Oliver Chen. He is Senior Retail Analyst and Managing Director at Cowan. Oliver, great to have you on. Who do you see potentially winning the big holiday game this year? Happy holidays, Brian. Great to be here. We're most excited about Target. Target's valuation at 15 times P.E. versus Walmart's 22 times positions it well. Also, Target saw very good traffic last quarter. We think that momentum will continue. And inventories have been very disrupted across the sector. Target did a good job quickly marking down product. That will help, too. Brian, the consumer is really mixed right now. Positives include low unemployment at 3.7%, also savings dollars of $500 billion. However, gas remains very volatile, housing costs, energy costs. Those are all things taking money away from the consumer. So we're cautiously optimistic and thematically, Brian, we do like luxury goods and we like companies that really offer consumers clear value such as Costco, Target, and Walmart. Okay, well, what's your macro take going into the holidays? I mean, everybody's like, oh, the consumer's tapped out, (laughs) credit card, record debt, but gosh, I mean, it seems like the consumer just keeps on spending. For sure. The consumer is still there, cautiously optimistic, because we are seeing a more hesitant consumer. Gas prices have helped a little bit as they sequentially have come down. However, gas prices are still up about 10 to 11% on a year-over-year basis. Low unemployment is the big positive for the consumer, but the consumer is rapidly changing in terms of going out and traveling and all these inflationary factors. What's really happening is the low-income consumer, the under 50K household income consumer, Brian, is under a lot of pressure and we'll see a lot of deals in categories like apparel. Um, so that will be good for consumers in terms of buying, but bad for gross margins. These are all cross currents we're watching, Brian. But if somebody says, yeah, I'm only allowed to buy one retail stock, I don't know why anybody would, but let's play the game. You're only allowed to buy one retail stock. Is it Target? Is it Walmart? Is it Costco? Is it TJ Maxx? What is it? It's Target. Target. Because they haven't done as well, they've got to catch up to Walmart. They've done a great job clearing inventories. Um, We think they're very ready for the holiday season. Target does traditionally an excellent job during events and experiential. Also, keep in mind, same-day pickup options, such as curbside pickup, drive-up, buy-online pickup in-store. The shopper's actually shopping a little bit later this holiday season, so there will be a lot of ladies and gentlemen running to stores late, and that's important, too. We think inventories are in the right place. And and Target, you're right, Brian. Target does a very good job with their own private labels. Um, It's designed for all, and it's also saving money. So we like Target, and we like the valuation as well with that P.E. of 13 to 15 times. There we go. Oliver Chen, great stuff. I have just a feeling we will see you again before the holidays. Oliver, thank you very much. Good to see you, Brian. All right, still ahead. Democrats retaining their Senate majority, but what exactly is going on with the House? Could the Democrats keep that as well? We'll talk about it with Delon Moy coming up, plus why 51 is a lot more than just one number over 50. The balance of power. Next. All 
All right, welcome back to The Exchange. Want to get one more thing before we go on this hour, and that is the balance of power in Congress. The Democrats maintaining the majority in the Senate, but the House is still up for grabs. Alon Moy joining us now. Alon, can the Democrats end up keeping the House as well? Well, Brian, the numbers are incredibly narrow. Here is the current breakdown for the House. NBC projects that Democrats will win 216 seats compared to 219 for Republicans. Now, that's one more than they need to secure the majority. But the reason NBC hasn't officially called it yet is because some of these races are still very close. There are six that haven't been called that could still tip the scales. And that is creating some confusion as Congress returns to Washington this week. House Republicans are presuming they've won control and plowing ahead with party leadership elections. Meanwhile, some Republicans in the Senate want to delay their process until after the runoff for Georgia's Senate seat on December the 6th. Now, all of this uncertainty is upping the stakes for the current lame duck session of Congress. The government runs out of money on December 16th. They have to pass a defense bill. There's a push for more aid to Ukraine. And Democrats are considering tackling the debt limit now to prevent Republicans from holding it hostage next year. We don't know where the House is going to be yet, who's going to be the leader, the, major, uh, the, the speaker as, and the minority leader. But debt ceiling is something we have to deal with. We paid the debts. We pay, we've incurred the expenses. We have to pay the debts. Now, Brian, Democrats are betting it's going to be easier to deal with all of that now in case they're facing divided government. Back over to you. All right, Alon, please help us out with civics, OK, because I, from what I understand, Right now, they've got 50. If they win, if Warnock wins the runoff in Georgia, it goes to 51. 51 is not just one more than 50, correct? 51 is a pure majority, and it changes a lot of things from federal judge appointments to committees. That, that 51st would be a big deal for the Democrats. Yeah, that dynamic is really important, Brian. So, of course, there's the obvious, right? There's an extra vote the Democrats have to spare. So someone like a Joe Manchin or Kristen Sinema suddenly becomes a little bit less important. But there's also a procedural difference because it's not just the Senate that is split currently 50-50. It's also each committee is split 50-50. And so that means that committees can get deadlocked on votes for bills or on confirmations. If you remember, that's one of the things that originally held up Sarah Bloom Raskin's nomination to the Federal Reserve. If they have 51 votes um, in the Senate, that means that they no longer have to do a special maneuver called a discharge position in order to uh, get bills or confirmations to the Senate floor for a vote. It means the vice president doesn't have to take time out in order to cast that tie-breaking vote. And then also, importantly, Brian, it makes a big difference in terms of the budget for senators' offices and exactly which office they end up sitting in. Because you wonder if that will tamp down GOP voter enthusiasm now that they basically lost the Senate. You, it does matter for the Democrats a lot. They want that 51. Oh, yeah. Certainly Republicans are already saying that they are still making a big push in Georgia. Mitch McConnell is going to be uh, holding a fundraiser with Herschel Walker in Georgia. Um, there's already ads starting to run on TV down there. Um, so this is really going to be important for both parties. But we'll see if okay. voters actually turn out. Elon Moy, great stuff there. Uh, 12th grade civics just didn't work out. I can't remember it. You cleared it up. Elon, thank you very much. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.